I'm Clyde Lewis. You're about to listen to a sample of today's Ground Zero show. I'm Clyde Lewis, and this is Ground Zero. The number is to call tonight, 503-225-0860. That's 503-225-0860. Had a lot of excitement last night with uh, the uh, what appeared to be a meteor shower. Turned out it wasn't a meteor shower. It was uh, a lot of bright lights flickering in the sky, shooting across the sky in the Pacific Northwest. Apparently about uh, three weeks ago, a Falcon 9 rocket launched from... Uh, Kennedy Space Center in Florida had a payload of about 60 Starlink satellites, and they were going to be putting them into putting them into low Earth orbit. And what happened was, well, usually what happens is that the second stage, when it's in its orbit, it basically relights and it nudges another stage downwards so that it can ba- basically re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. And usually it does over the Pacific Ocean. But apparently there wasn't enough propellant to ignite the Merlin engine. And so what we saw was the propellant venting out into space and the rocket, second stage rocket, basically falling uncontrolled over the Pacific Northwest. And so we saw it break apart in the sky. So we see the drag, we see the the heating up, we see this bright, brilliant light show and uh, people saw it for miles. And so it was very exciting last night because we had some really interesting video being sent to us uh, by Justin McDonald, who's one of our associates at TalkCast PDX, and we were really excited. We were wondering, you know, I, I knew what it was because we were discussing on the show that it looked something like, uh, you know, what what happened when the Columbia exploded and was going across the sky. It looked kind of the same way, except that was broad daylight there and uh, really tragic. But, uh, you know, it's things like this that make you look up again and wonder, you know, what's out there? What is going on out in space that we really aren't paying attention to? And it certainly, uh, you know, sparks my imagination uh, when when these things happen. Uh, in fact, uh, normally, if you see something like this and the story is huge, you know, there's somebody on there, you know, claiming that perhaps aliens are arriving or what have you. We didn't say that, but, you know, it's like, you know, it, it just stirs up that conversation saying, well, they're not reporting this, they're not reporting this, it's got to be something else. Well, not necessarily. I mean, a cigar is a cigar sometimes. But when you see a story about, you know, aliens or UFOs or whatever, and you're hearing about, you know, from the media how, you know, there's a logical explanations of the origins or whatever, and you say, well, you know, we believe a lot of things. We use a lot of discernment, but, you know, to say that something, you know, that aliens are here, they're among us or what have you, I mean, people say, well, that's a little misguided. And and, and shows like mine is, ah, it's crazy talk. It's conspiracy theorists, crackpot talk. But, it was something uh, was funny I, I saw the other night. I, I'm a big fan of the Sci-Fi Channel's TV show called Resident Alien, and I've been watching that. And Giorgio Sukulis was on there uh, this last episode at an alien con talking with this this guy that's supposed to be an alien, right? And it was really funny to see the exchange. But one of the things that the alien said was that he was a descendant of, that his people were a descendant of octopus or the the, the octopi. And I, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's funny because I was just reading the other day that there was an in- international group of actual scientists that, uh, you know, real scientists, you know, but Avi Loeb and others are real scientists too. But I'm saying, you know, these are scientists that have, you know, gone on the record here theorizing the existence of alien species living right under our noses. Okay. 
that perhaps a lot of the creatures that we take for granted here on planet Earth are really alien creatures, and that there are several uh, species of them out there somewhere. That you know, uh, there was a the paper was called "Progress in Biophysics." And molecular biology. In fact, I'm going to get Ron, if I can get a copy of it, I'm going to get it to Ron, and we'll put it in aftermath.media. I was just talking about aftermath earlier. But it was called Progress in Biophysics and Molecular Biology. And basically what it does is it attempts to tackle the question of how life originated here on Earth. And the researchers have embraced a number of proposed explanations and, and discussed their implications. But one particularly interesting note is their proposal that cephalopods, whether it be squid, octopus, cuttlefish, they may have originated somewhere else, not on Earth, but somewhere else. Um, and this, and, and this is what got my eye in in, in this uh, in this uh, paper that I was reading. I was reading over for I knew I was going to do a show about this, but I wanted to I, I wanted to do some research. Anyway, it says here, quote: "Evidence of the role of extraterrestrial viruses in affecting terrestrial evolution has recently been plausibly implied in the gene and transcriptome sequencing of." cephalopods. The genome of the octopus shows a staggering level of complexity with 33,000 protein coding genes more than that, that was present in Homo sapiens. So the scientists are basically telling us that, mod- that, that when you look at modern cephalopods, they evolved their present form here on Earth possibly because, well, they were brought here by a comet, or that uh, they're descendants of microorganisms uh, that came to Earth on a comet or uh, on, a, on, a, on a meteor. And remember just the other day we were talking about the possibility that COVID could have been, because they now saying that two months out, you know, back in October, there was a huge explosion. Something came down from the sky uh, near Wuhan, just well, actually 2,000 meters, uh, kilometers away, but it was right there midway and they could have easily gotten a hold of that and they could have done something with it but i'm just saying that when you're looking at the possibility of seeding from space or cross contamination from space and then you have scientists saying well you know maybe the octop- octopus the squid the cuttlefish may have been a product of this type of seeding and it it they're saying that it came from either a comet or a meteor or something um and here, here's another part uh, of this this uh, study. It says, uh, talking about the octopus, talking about the, uh, the ce- uh, cephalopod. It says, its large brain and sophisticated nervous system, camera-like eyes, flexible body, instantaneous camouflage, the ability to switch color and shape are just a few of the striking features that appear suddenly on an evolutionary scene. It points to the possibility that this great leap forward in complexity was due to cryopreserved squid or octopus eggs crashing into the ocean on comets millions of years ago. I know that sounds creepy and weird, but it's true. This is what they're saying. Scientists have studied the possibility of life arriving from outer space. And now this paper that was published in Progress Biophysics and Molecular Biology is saying yet again that biological material from other worlds may have seeded a young earth and produced everything we see today. Now, the octopus is, you know, only part of the equation, right? In fact, recently, the New York Times published an article about a scientist at Cambridge University, and he has a book 
about alien species and how they may resemble some of the animals we have here on Earth. His name is Arik Kirschenbaum, and he basically asserts that the universal laws of biology that govern life on Earth also apply to extraterrestrials or aliens. And the most important thing is, is that species evolved by natural selection, he says. The bedrock idea of evolutionary biology, Charles Darwin, of course, came up with this, but no matter how alien biochemistry might work and no matter how planetary environments might differ, Kirschenbaum argues that some version of Darwinian selection would be at work and would have channeled alien evolution to restricted menus of possibilities. Thus, Kirschenbaum predicts that alien life will bear striking parallels to earthly life. Most aliens will be bilaterally symmetrical and use familiar forms of locomotion, such as legs, paddles, jets, octopus. They use jets. Squid do too. Kirschenbaum predicts that some aliens will exhibit social cooperation, technology, and language. He even posits that aliens will share the quality we hold most dear, and that is intelligence. He says, quote, we all want to believe in intelligent agents. We all want to believe in intelligent agents, aliens, he says. He says, it seems inevitable that they do, in fact, exist. But the thing about Kirschenbaum is, is, you know, he's got a good gig and his book is okay. But, you know, his ideas are nothing new. And as I said before, this seems to be the growing trend of panspermia and the idea of, of uh, the evolution, the not from monkeys or whatever, but, you know, just the idea that uh, there are others before him that have already tackled this issue and it's been far more compelling uh if, as you look through history and in his case i think he has a little bit of political prejudice too which i believe is damaging his credibility because i you know i've had some experience here and i and i understand this uh but you know you can go back uh more than 100 years actually go back to i think uh, einstein 1905 he determined that the laws of physics are the same for all non-accelerating observers and that the speed of light in a vacuum was independent of the motion of all observers. This way, the theory of special relativity is, of course, his bailiwick. It it introduced a a new framework for all physics and proposed new concepts of space and time. So, I mean, you look at what CERN's doing, they're altering everything, okay? And Einstein, basically, when he talked about relativity, a lot of scientists have used it to not only discover alien planets, but also to look upon these planets and wonder what kind of species would exist. Wondering if a planet has that Goldilocks position where it would sustain life elsewhere. But the question is, what kind of life? And while the mainstream narratives love to focus on the political fracas that indicates the values of the world, there are very important stories buried in science journals that are making more and more arguments for life in space and the possibility of that life already among us. Not only independent from human and animal life, but mingling with human life. And it's being evidenced through genetic revelations and what I call second genesis. Some amazing things going on in science journals as we speak. 503-225-0860. That's 503-225-0860. I'm Clyde Lewis. You're listening to Ground Zero, and we'll be back. I'm Clegg Lewis, and you've just listened to a segment of Ground Zero. In order to access the complete archive shows and podcasts, you must sign up on our secured server at Aftermath.media. It's only $4.99 a month for the archive shows and podcasts. Or if you want access to the Ground Zero online library, which includes videos, audio clips, ebooks, documents, a social media platform, 
plus the archive shows and podcasts, it's $9.99 a month. Again, that's Aftermath.media. That's Aftermath.media. Thanks for supporting Ground Zero.